All right, so we've pressed record again. Welcome to the second installment of Kitchen Sink. Um, I'm Thomas Kilroy. It's 20 minutes to two on a Sunday afternoon, 26th of July. And I have to say, it's perfect weather for being inside and uh, and podcasting instead of being outside because it's absolutely lashing with rain as I as I speak right now. Thank you so much for listening to my uh, first episode. I've had a, a, an amazing reaction from various people, uh, most of it positive. In fact, pretty much all of it positive, which is which gives me some sense of uh, maybe I should continue this for a little while longer. Um, and certainly on uh, LinkedIn, uh, a friend of mine, Dean Montgomery, who uh, um, if he's listening right now, hi, Dean, he's in Australia worked together at Baxter Story back in the day, and he's with Restaurant Associates, uh, currently Operations uh, Manager at Taronga Zoo. So he just said, great podcast. And another friend of mine who also a uh, former colleague of mine, we were, we were all together in the, in the Leadership Academy, Mark Clinton, who said he really liked the Inbox Zero concept, uh, trying to get a similar system working through our business at the moment too. So um, really nice comments. Thank you so much, guys. I really appreciate it. You have no idea because, as I said, and I did write a short blog post, it feels sometimes like you're talking to the wall. So let's see, what have we got on the agenda? Actually, a really nice uh, few bits and pieces to talk about. Um, just talking about Inbox Zero, um, few people have tried that, and I remembered something else about um, email, which I thought was quite good. And I, what I've done is, if you go now to the, um, if you've picked up where the podcast was on my website before, I've now put uh, some show notes in there and some links to other stuff. And following this podcast, I'll also put some links up to, to various bits and pieces, just as a little way f- of you to find some of this content that I've that I have. Um, and one of them is a really nice blog post. Uh, it's it's an oldie but a goodie, uh, written in 2010 by a guy called Seth Godin, who is uh, one of the world's leading marketers. Eight things I wish everyone knew about email. Uh, there's eight fantastic tips in there just to remind you uh, about it and at the end there's a bonus tip and this is really good I have to say I'm, I'm saying this number one because it's it's really important as we come up you're probably thinking of right now holidays booked you want to switch off for a couple of weeks and the problem is when you get back what do you have to do you've got to wade through 200 300 emails there's a really nice tip and I've done this so what you do is uh, you put in uh, Corey gets so just reading from here it says Corey gets more email than you and I combined so when you go on vacation set up an auto reply that says and here's what it has to say I'm on vacation until whatever the date is when I get back I'm going to delete all the mail that arrived while I was gone so if this note is important please send it to me again after that date and that's the trick you say to people that you're going to delete the email so that they know it's not going to be actioned while you've been away or even after you've been away. And if it's important, they will send it again. I actually did that myself last year. I was I was going on holiday and I set up, a, a, I, I took the same wording but made it a little bit more polite to say your communication is very important to me. However, um, I will be deleting all of my email while I was away. So please, if it's very important, resend it after that date. Out of the 197 emails that I received, only three emails were resent to me after the date. So just think about that before you set up that order reply to say, I will respond to you on my return, because that is just one day you've just added to your workload. And then in the end, what's the point of a holiday? 
So there you go. That's a little bit about email. Thank you very much about that. And uh, uh, another little uh, reaction, which was from my, my former boss and one of my favorite people in the world, Simon Esner, he, he retweeted to say, uh, picked up on the fact that Coat Restaurant in Oxford s- supplies Beck's Blues only for me. Uh, and I thought that was very kind of him to do that. And I thought, um, you know, the whole subject around non-alcoholic drinks and so on, I really struggle when I go to, to, to restaurants for, for a non-alcoholic drink. And it's invariably going to be something fruit-based, uh, which is sugar, or it's going to be a tonic water, or it's going to be, if I'm very lucky, uh, maybe a non-alcoholic beer. Um, however, I came across, this is a fantastic um, article written by a lady called Felicity Spector and she's on Twitter at Felicity Spector and she wrote a fantastic uh, article about just sourcing the best quality um, non-alcoholic drinks so the headline says no more lime and soda how bars are riding the teetotal craze Um, and she has found some absolute gems I have to say thank you uh, uh, Felicity this is uh, amazing so for example uh, James Stevenson, manager of East London's Peg and Patriot, who's been experimenting along similar lines, um, he says things like, they make three of their own gins, one of which is alcohol-free. We just use, so here's what he says, we just use a water distillate as the base and infuse it with all the classic juniper and botanicals. It means we can offer more sophisticated drinks to people who don't want to drink alcohol for various reasons. Now, that sounds incredible. Uh, an alcohol-free gin. Uh, Brunel Lube at the grain store. Similar story there. Uh, they offer a red or white, which, of course, is a grape juice, but mixed with elderflower or beetroot juice. Um, so that, again, is a very interesting concept. And just scrolling down here through this, there was another one that really piqued my interest, for example, and this was at Bristol's Ethicurian. Co-owner Jack Bevan has been playing around with various things, and one of them that they come up with, um, he's used leftover kimchi juice to make a Virgin Mary and added fennel to the apple juice, leaving it to ferment before adding tonic water. And as he goes on to say, it doesn't use too much sugar and goes really well with fish dishes, like a Sauvignon with lots of minerality. So I have to say that was a really nice article by uh, uh, Felicity Spector, um, and that was in The Telegraph. So again, on the show notes, I put the link of that on there for you. So going from one non-alcoholic beverage to another, I have to say this next story, uh, I'm smiling to myself about this because it came up on my radar in a very odd way. Um, anyone who's been who uses Twitter will know that there's lots and lots of different ways that people um, use it. Some parody accounts, some joke accounts and so on. And there's an account called um, Get In The Sea. And that is all it does. It just picks out random things uh, that look very pretentious, etc., etc., and says, get in the sea. Uh, I have to say, before you go to it, I just want to warn you, it's quite rude. It's get in the effing sea, or it's lots and lots of other words that I daren't use on this podcast. Otherwise, I will have to uh, change my settings on iTunes. So what does that have to do with water? Well, one of the, one of the uh, little tweets that popped up, it said, and I'm, I'm reading it here, it said, So what do you do then, mate? I'm a water butler. Get in the effing sea now. And then there's a link to the story. And the story is that the Merchant Hotel in um, Belfast has launched a new dedicated, Ireland's first dedicated water menu. 
Um, so yeah, obviously uh, the the tweet was highlighting the pretentiousness of it, uh, but nevertheless it it did pique my interest. So I went straight in to to see if I could find out more about it. And sure enough, my my very good friends at um, Hospitality and Catering News, who I spent time with this week, luxury water menu launches at the Merchant in in Belfast. Now. The Merchant in Belfast, in case that sounds familiar, they are home to the world's most expensive cocktail. And actually, they've also um, had the world's oldest old-fashioned. So here they are with their uh, world's, well, Ireland's first dedicated water menu. Um, And as part of that, what they've done is created an exclusive menu with 13 bottled waters from uh, around the world. right across probably 10 countries, including Italy, Iceland, Finland and the Faroe Islands and Fiji. So, as I said, very much a global endeavour. And what they've then done is um, uh, put in place two water butlers uh, to assist you and guide you on making the best possible choice of water. So uh, the list is very interesting. Uh, If you're thinking of uh, changing or looking at uh, what waters you have on offer in your hotel or restaurant, I think it'd be a good article to read um, just just to get the, the references of the different ones. So, for example, uh, the most expensive one priced at £26.45p for a 750ml bottle. So that's far more expensive than you would, might even spend on a bottle of wine. Um, and that is the iceberg uh, from the Canadian Arctic Ice Shelf in Newfoundland. Um, so, again... Uh, gives all of the, uh, the 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 breakdown of sodium, magnesium, etc. That's in it, um, and and then right at the bottom, then there's a little caveat to say, um, where is it here? There's a little. Oh yes, yeah, so. Um, so the Galvin Carroll general manager he goes on to say in a little uh, re- of course we know these luxury waters won't be to everyone's taste and new menu will be offered as an additional option to our current water menu that includes local Irish brands and for those that don't want to splash out on water we can still offer a glass of Belfast water which is free of charge so um, I find it curious that the uh, exclusive water menu is uh, a separate list to the to the to the local affair, um, but I guess um, just thinking it through, I would want to just put the range of of more expensive uh, waters in the hand of the customer. I try and encourage them to choose from that. If they don't choose from that, then say we do have an alternative, um, which could be uh, at the end of the day uh, a glass of tap water if you want it. Um, what do you think? Do you think that it's a good idea? Is it innovation? Is it pretentiousness? I don't know. Um, why don't you share your thoughts um, in the comments section um, at thomaskilroy.com uh, on my podcast page or indeed over on Twitter um, at MyKitchenSync. And that's sync as in synchronize, S-Y-N-C. So what else has been uh, has been catching my interest over the last few days well talking about posh water um i think that uh, and yes it is raining just this moment but we had a few um, amazing days over the week where, where the weather was quite nice and a picnic wasn't um wasn't something that uh, i would have said i would have turned my nose up at so again a very nice article in a square meal that i came across now this was written for national picnic week which was in june however as the weather is still um, hoping over august we might get a few days um india dowley in square meal has put together a really nice article on posh picnics where to get yours and she has scoured uh, London to find out what's best on the market. And what's nice about it is that um, you you decide on the style of of uh, 
occasion that you want. So, for example, go posh, go indoors, go sweet, uh, go healthy, go fun, etc. And under those headings, then she's found um, something that's that's interesting. So, if you really, really, really want to splash out, um, as she says itself in this uh, thing, if you really want to impress, <coughs> show off. Uh, this one has got your name written all over it, which is. Pierre Hermé's uh, macarons and what he has done there at uh, Pierre Hermé is um, created a fantastic beautiful display box of 72 macaroons which are uh, bound in leather straps and it looks absolutely stunning but I have to tell you uh, they're not they're not cheap at £1.90 each and the the tray comes in at £155 so yeah that that is all about showing off Uh, but then I have to say there's a couple of other very very nice options for example um, here it is Go fun. So under the Go Fun section, uh, the Rocket at Holborn. So head down to Lincoln's Infields this weekend for pizza and cocktails delivered straight to whatever patch of grass you decide to plonk yourself on. Pop into the Holborn restaurant, uh, which backs onto the fields beforehand, place your order and wait for your goodies to be delivered along with a blanket. Much better than Domino's it sells. And at £20 per person, it looks like far better... Um, uh, I wouldn't say, well, value for money to a certain degree. It's a whole different proposition, but £20, that seems quite affordable per person than, say, the uh, the macaroons affair that uh, that Pierre Hermes is offering. So that's Posh Picnics. Um, check out the article and uh, why not give it a go? Now, here's something that uh, I really like, which is uh, brunch. Uh, who doesn't like a good brunch? And again, The Telegraph just this week highlighted that Brits spend an average of 76 million pounds a day on going out for breakfast. So if you remember last week, we mentioned uh, that uh, Food Trends said that there was a decline in um, going out. And I thought that it was interesting that this was something where Brits are spending so much money on uh, breakfast. Um, And what also just interested me briefly here was the idea that um, while cereals... um, Cereal sales fell by half a percent in 2014, according to data from Euromonitor International, while egg consumption jumped by 2.7%. And I do know that um, I I certainly like the idea of um, a late breakfast. Um, and I've I've enjoyed a, a few nice ones recently. Again, I'm mentioning it. I'm sorry to keep mentioning it, but uh, Coat in Oxford does a fabulous breakfast and brunch right up until 12.30, and it's really good, and the Eggs Royale there, just amazing. And on um, Independence Day, 4th of July, we headed uh, back into London. I work in Harley Street, and around the corner of uh, Marylebone High Street is a brasserie called 108 uh, Marylebone, which is really nice, the Marylebone hotel there and we had a fantastic uh, brunch it was very very refined um easy going lovely service and they had a, a sort of lovely jazz trio playing there so that was that was super good and funny enough again uh, the power of twitter uh, two totally uh, two people i know who are totally uh, unconnected both happened to say nice things about that uh, that brasserie so we gave it a go we went along we weren't we weren't disappointed so brunch is something that i would say um is something that uh, is on the rise. And also, I think it's also worth interesting that there's a couple of links on the bottom of this uh, story. The pasty shop Greg's have introduced porridge and croissants to its range after the success of its breakfast bacon butty. Um, And I think what's interesting there is that um, having come from contract catering, where I was with Baxter Story previously, I know that there's a a huge focus by contract caterers to to improve... um, 
um, and put in place a much more exciting breakfast offer. Because at the end of the day, you have a captive audience. People can get into work if you can put in front of them a really decent coffee. And uh, next to it happens to be a, a, a well-made porridge with some nice sprinklies that you can pimp your porridge if you want to. Then um, I think there's a good chance you're going to get an extra two or three pounds spend out of that person as they arrive in the office. And we do know that uh, a good breakfast uh, will improve your productivity during the day. So I would say any caterer who is there um, looking after people in the workplace should be considering uh, breakfast and even even up to the point of brunch. And then I also see that um, pub chain Weatherspoons plans to triple its breakfast sales this year. And uh, that makes me smile because uh, once again, when I when I read that story, um, where which was in the Telegraph, Weatherspoons boosts breakfast offerings to counter unfair beer tax. And once again, and this story is like, uh, what is it, three months old, uh, back in March. So it looks like Tim Martin really likes to, to have a good old moan about whatever taxes are being thrown at him by the government. Uh, last week, I just highlighted the fact that he mentioned about the, the minimum wage. And here I am again reading about his uh, his challenge around paying so much VAT, etc., etc. Yeah, I, I get it. He's right. There is a huge um, uh, challenge for, for pub owners to, to meet all those bills. Um, but And it's great that Tim Martin raises that. But um, at the same time, I, I wonder for someone who is able to... Um, to sell somewhere in the region of, let's just have a look here, 50 million coffees a year is sold by Weatherspoon. Can you believe that? And 24 million breakfasts a year. So obviously he's getting very, very good deals uh, from his suppliers on, on uh, the cost price of those sausages. So he can pass that back to, back to his uh, customers. So Weatherspoons have built a whole industry around um, offering breakfast in pubs, uh, which I suppose was one of those unexpected um, results of the smoking ban many, many moons ago. So that's uh, brunch, a bit of a boom on. And actually just talking about, uh, uh, coming back to that Tim Martin uh, comment about the living wage, um, again in the Telegraph, uh, uh, restaurant group boss hits out at living wage critics. So uh, Danny Breithaupt, I don't know if I've pronounced that correctly, who is the boss of um, the company behind Frankie and Benny's, and he's dismissed criticism that the new living wage will lead to job losses and business closures. Um, he said he was quite furious about the reaction from some businesses to the announcement that the minimum wage was set to rise. And he said that business has got to stand up and be counted. Um, it is not the government's responsibility to supplement people's wages if companies did not pay enough. And I tend to agree with that. I, I, I think that uh, it's it's... I don't think it's right. Does it make sense that uh, a company, I don't know, it doesn't matter whether it's McDonald's or any of those very, very, very big, big companies uh, are paying, you know, less than living wage, for example, to their staff, and then many of their staff then might be getting uh, benefits from the government or, or help, helping with their, their council tax or whatever it is. I don't know. Um, what do you think? Uh, do you have a comment on that? Um, by all means, please share it, um, and we can we can pick it up, and maybe we might just get someone in and have a little bit of an interview and, and have some debate on that. But I just thought it was very interesting that somebody, uh, again, a, a fairly big hitter in the industry, uh, just countered the remarks of Tim Martin. So... Uh, Obviously, this 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 debate will will rage on. Now let's have a look. Uh, here's a little story that um, really piqued my interest. Um, anyone who has Netflix um, may be familiar with a television series called Breaking Bad, and I have to say, if you haven't seen it, 
you have to watch it. Um, and if you start watching it, then just cancel the next uh, four weekends uh, because I promise you, you'll just want to stay in and watch the next episode and the next episode and the next episode. An amazing series. Um, yeah, the topic of uh, producing drugs and selling them, it might sound very, very um, you know, unsavory. But the way that the the series is written, uh, it's it's very compelling, very compelling indeed. Um, so what's happened? Well, naturally, and this is a story that was uh, brought to my attention by Richard Vines, uh, who's on Twitter at Richard Vines, and he writes for uh, Bloomberg, leading food critic for Bloomberg, and he talks about uh, London pop-ups. Um, so fans of Breaking Bad can get cooking on Friday when a pop-up bar opens for business in a recreational vehicle, one of those big RVs that you see on those American uh, um, um, f- funny movies. Um, it's based on the hit TV series in which a cancer-ridden chemistry teacher decides to manufacture methamphetamine. So this pop-up is called ABQ in East London, um, and basically what they're going to do is give chemistry kits uh, to guests who work in teams to mix batches of cocktails, such as the Blue Fin, which is a rum-based drink that changes colour with the addition of acidity. The bar's name, so ABQ is short for Albuquerque, New Mexico, uh, where the show was set. And fans will recognise that Blue Finn uh, refers to both protagonist Walter White's son Flynn, as well as the the famous uh, blue-coloured myth that um, the character uh, um, who who sort of produces the myth, he calls himself Heisenberg. So he makes this uh, this amazing blue-coloured uh, methamphetamine it's a very very uh, fun concept very interesting uh, you buy tickets you get a two-hour window in which uh, it includes the kit to make the drinks and you can you can have two drinks um, and I think it's working because he has sold more than six and a half thousand tickets at uh, 30 pounds each um, and they're fully booked until late October uh, guests sit in yellow suits so uh, I have to say really fun uh, idea i love the idea of it so again on my uh, show notes i have a link to that story by richard vines thank you richard for for sharing that that's really good and i have a a link to the uh, to the website as well um which it just gives a very very simple overview and then you can if you want to get tickets uh, you can get onto the waiting list there through their their mailing list so that's abq in london um pop-ups are a big rage for the last two, three years. Um, And The Guardian, now I have to say, this is very interesting, I I have to say The Guardian have started over the last 12 months uh, doing these masterclasses um, where they get uh, various, whether it's, if it's about writing books, they'll get authors in, and if it's about social media, then they'll get um, experts and gurus in social media in to talk about that. So what have they decided to do? That um, they've got this fantastic um, how to start a supper club, home restaurant or pop-up. So it's a it's a, a, a masterclass uh, from 10 a.m. in the morning till 4 p.m. on Sunday, the 16th of August. The price is £99 per person. And basically, uh, they have invited in a number of people who have opened uh, pop-ups, um, who write about pop-ups, who understand the concept. Um, and 
they're going to share that knowledge with you and you can get some tips and tricks and so on. They've also invited, you know, as part of that day, uh, food safety expert Sylvia Anderson um, on the nuts and bolts of setting up a summer club. So including the, the hygiene conditions, uh, considerations, sorry, the, the food safety laws and, and HACCP. And I think that's really, really good. I think that's, that, in fact, if, if anything, that's the thing that impresses me the most about that masterclass because it's all real setting it up, but just be aware of the... Um, the risks that you take when you start to cook for people um, and and charge them money for it. Um, their headline um, masterclass uh, presenter is MasterChef finalist Tony Rod. On um, we'll be talking about how to host pop-ups within existing res- restaurants um, and how this compares with cooking for guests at home. And then food writer, photographer, and consultant. I'm not sure if I can pronounce this correctly. When Lu U Y E N L U U. So um, when I'm presuming is the correct pronunciation. Um, again, she uh, will be talking about some of the key things she's learned along the way because um, she has supper clubs where the guests include people like Jamie Oliver. So the pressure's on when you have Jamie coming around for for dinner. So that's a really nice idea. And talking about training, here's a fantastic uh, thing that I saw just recently, and I, and I really do believe that this is the way forward for um, for industry to uh, work with education. So the Edge Hotel School, uh, which is based over in Wivenhoe, Wivenhoe House Hotel over there in, uh, in Essex, they have uh, come up with a groundbreaking partnership um, with Brown's Hotel, the Ritz in London and the Dorchester. Um, and those three hotels will be welcoming students of the Edge Hotel into their kitchens and tea rooms to learn the five-star service standards required to deliver these ultimate afternoon teas. Now, isn't that fantastic? So basically, students from uh, the Edge Hotel School will make their way up to London and spend uh, a day or two in the kitchen and in the front of house learning how to make and present and serve afternoon tea at the highest level. Now, I have to tell you, I used to work at the Ritz Hotel. I spent a year at the Ritz Hotel and I have made the uh, the ubiquitous, famous afternoon tea pastries for the Palm Court. Um, and I have to tell you, that was one of the possibly one of the toughest things I've ever had to do in my career. Um, just going back to that experience, just remembering it. Uh, let me see, how long ago was that? My goodness, 1990 to 1991. Um, actually, it was 5th of November. I'll never forget. 5th of November, 1990 to the 5th of November, 1991. I have the certificate somewhere. I think it's sticking on a restaurant, possibly in Nepal. And I used to come in in the morning at 6.30 and you would basically make six different pastries plus the scones um, then you get all your prep ready for the next day. And when you finished, you could then um, go home. I never managed to get it done quicker than, I think, 12, 12 and a half hours. That was the quickest I could do it. I wasn't the quickest, uh, but I was certainly, um, I certainly got them as perfect as I could get them um, and consistently right every time. But it was very, very tough. I know that it's, it's not quite the same. Uh, that was a different time. Uh, so I don't think people do those same hours. And certainly I think that techniques and uh, recipes have changed, etc., etc. But one thing that hasn't changed is the uh, the appeal of uh, a fabulous celebration over afternoon tea. So uh, really, really nice idea. And then what happens at the Edge Hotel School is that the students will then take back that knowledge and share it with people who come to visit for afternoon tea at 
PH Hotel School. So, for example, Brown's Hotel-inspired afternoon tea will be served at Wivenhoe House Hotel from the 1st of June, so it's already in place, until the 31st of August 2015. Uh, the Dorchester-inspired afternoon tea will then be served from 1st of September until the end of November. And the Ritz London-inspired afternoon tea will be served from 1st of December right up until the end of February. So you could experience any one of those um, Ritz or Dorchester or Brown's Hotel inspired afternoon tea served by the students at the Edge Hotel School um, over in Wivenhoe House in Essex and the cost is only £19.50 per person. So why not give them a call 012-06-86-36-66 um, I'm going to put the link on the show notes uh, you can check it out and why not give them a call because I tell you what you go along it only costs you £19.50. Round up some friends, uh, go and enjoy, and most importantly, it gives the students an, uh, an opportunity to practice those service skills. I have been over to uh, the Edge Hotel School. I have um, presented um, on social media and how to how to um, um, craft your personal brand uh, to help you to get a job and I have to say I've been so impressed uh, with the uniforms with the presentation with um, everything that they do over there and I think it's a fantastic thing that they're doing at the Edge Hotel School. So that's uh, uh, training, uh, whether it's a masterclass for a pop-up or whether uh, it's it's some, a tie-up between uh, one of the leading um, 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 places for students to get some training from the industry. Uh, really, really good to see. So that's pretty much everything on my uh, list that has grabbed my attention. Um, let me just have a look. So last week I talked a little bit about um, in terms of a management tip around uh, email and I touched base with it again today. And I was thinking, I wonder what I could share with you this week that might be of interest, something maybe you could you could take back to the office on Monday and maybe have a think about. And one of the little things that really struck me, and I've, it's because of my, my new role at uh, London Clinic, and uh, I have so many people in my, in my team, and I want to get to know them and, and, and sort of help to develop them and, and find out more about them. And one of the little techniques, and it was something that I learned again at the, um, the Leadership Academy at uh, Baxter Story, and it's, it's, it's proven to be hugely successful for me personally, is... Um, a technique of for coaching known as the grow model for coaching so i think if you're aware of what um, um coaching means as opposed to mentoring coaching is you know to me it's about um sitting down with somebody and putting questions framing questions to them where you get them to think and figure out what the answer might be so rather than standing there and saying telling them what the what the answer might be actually to to sort of start to get them to pluck the answers out because it's already in there. You just have to get them to figure it out. And one of the simplest ways uh, to be able to put uh, this kind of coaching into place in your in your office uh, with your team is what's known as the GROW model. And what I used to, used to do in my previous uh, office um, was I had a little sticky note just on the computer with G-R-O and W on it, and I would use that to ref as a reference, and I would glance at it as I was, as I was chatting with, uh, with somebody in my office. And basically what it stands for, the, th the four letters stand for... Um, so G is for goal. So basically you're asking, what is the goal? What are you trying to achieve? Where, where do you want to get to? And invariably, the, the person in front of you would be uh, saying they're trying to do this, trying to do that. You know, whatever it is, what is the goal? 
Then you say, um, a bit like a map, in order to know where you're going, you need to know where you are. So you say, what is the reality? What is the current reality uh, about where you are now? What are the issues, the challenges? Um, and just to get them to think about, about you know, the, the, where they stand currently and the journey they're going to have to take to get to where they're going. Which then, of course, leads to the O part of this GROW model, uh, which is obstacles. What obstacles are um, in the way of you getting there. Um, so again, you start to just pick, unpick that, that, that question around what is it that's stopping you to get from where you are to where you want to go. And then the W, well, this, it, it, it stands for way forward, but the way I like to think about it is, so what are you going to do about it? That's what the W stands for. So what are you going to do about it? And by putting that, uh, that framing around the problem, invariably within just literally 15 minutes, you'll have somebody who maybe was struggling with an issue or maybe a, a, an aspiration or a life goal or a career um, opportunity, who knows, um, then just put to them, what is the goal? What is the reality of where you are now? What obstacles are in the way? And uh, what are you going to do about it? So that's a very, very simple method. Try it at work. See what you think. Um, um, maybe you have another simple way of uh, uh, coaching people. Again, I'd love to hear back from you. So um, why not put any of your uh, thoughts in the comments section of my um, podcast section of my website at thomaskiroy.com or again, uh, send me a little note on uh, Twitter at my kitchen sink. Or indeed, why not uh, stick a comment into LinkedIn as well? I know some of you are over there as well. Whatever it is, it'd be great to hear from you. So that's everything this week on uh, what I've seen. Hopefully there's, uh, there's been a few bits and pieces. We've looked at uh, luxury water and posh picnics, and we've looked at pop-ups, and we've looked at um, uh, fantastic uh, training uh, opportunities for young people. So I think uh, all in all, it's been, uh, it's been a really, really nice, uh, been a nice show. Thank you very much for listening. This has been Kitchen Sink with Thomas Kilroy.